As Griffin mentioned, I'm Stephen. I'm the middle school youth pastor, so I'm hoping that you did not say that middle school students were your greatest fear. Because personally, I love working with these middle school students. They're young, they're small, but they are surprisingly capable. You know, for example, we were in a series where we were talking about being a servant leader and what it means to make an impact in the world around you. And we had one of our students who really took it to heart. On his way home, he actually saw a homeless man and decided he wanted to do something about it. So he starts planning about how he can raise money to help the homeless community. Puts together a lemonade stand and starts figuring out what he can do. And turns out he ended up raising over $3,000 to help the homeless community near him. So word spread quick. Yeah, it's exciting. The word spread quick, and even the news found out, and they wrote a report about this middle school boy who was impacting his community for the better. It's amazing as I see these students grow, I feel like they're the underdogs. I can't help but get behind them and support them because I can see what they're capable of. But we all do that, right? Don't we all seem to want to support the underdog? Raise your hand if you've ever found yourself rooting for the underdog in some situation, right? Almost all of us. Maybe it was last Super Bowl when all your friends said that Tom Brady was going to be the guy. And you're like, well, you may not know Nick Foles, but I'm telling you, pay attention to him. And turns out you're right. So whatever the case, why do we find ourselves holding on to these impossible odds or seeking the unlikely heroes? Is it because we really want to prove somebody else wrong? Or are we seeking fairness in the world? Or do we really hold on to the hopes that the impossible can be made possible? I know growing up, I always felt like I was the underdog. I'm the younger brother, and, well, I've always been shorter than average. And I love taking on challenges. So whenever my friends would have something that they didn't think could be accomplished, like, hey, this is impossible, there's no way we can do it, I'm like, well, let me try. Let me have at it. And if I could, I would try to prove them wrong and make the impossible possible again. But I think that's what I love so much about David's story. So we're going to talk about David's story, and I want to dig a little bit deeper. And I know most of us have heard his story. But I want to look about how this young shepherd boy, being the youngest of eight, decided to do something incredible. So we know that he was overlooked pretty often. Even his own family overlooked him when they were trying to anoint the next king. But God knew that David had something special in him. And we actually see that even though David was just a shepherd boy taking care of his father's sheep or playing music for the king, his life didn't change until he was about the age of 16. See, one day when he was about the age of 16, there was an army getting ready to take on Israel. It was the Philistine army. And this army is face to face, but right before the battle begins, a soldier steps forward. But not just any soldier. We're talking about a giant of a man. We're talking about a guy who's almost nine feet tall, all muscle. You could say he's the Terminator from ancient times. And we know his name, right? What's his name? That's right, Goliath. See, Goliath walks out to this field and challenges the Israelites. He says, bring out your greatest warrior. And if that warrior can defeat me, then we will become your slaves. But if I can defeat your warrior, then you will all become our slaves. And we kind of see at this point where every soldier that Israel had turned to cowards. All the fear took over the land. But then there's David, the shepherd boy who's on his way to just do what his father asked, bring some food to his brothers out in the army. And then he sees this giant and he says, I'll do it. I will take on the warrior. And suddenly the underdog is formed. See, we have this boy who decides to have faith 
in someone more than himself. And we know that the king tried to help out, giving him armor and weapons, and David declined all that. And he said, I have my staff, I have my sling, and I have God at my side, so I have everything that I need. And he walks out to the field. But picture this point. Picture as the Israelites are on one cliff and the Philistines are on another, and they're looking at this young little boy walking out to face their giant warrior. Can you imagine the ridicule, the laughter, the words that they were mocking him with as he was walking out to the field? And then there's David who stood tall in faith, knowing that he was not alone on that field, that God was there beside him. And we know how the story goes. This teenage boy takes on a giant who shook the nation with fear, and with one swing of his sling, he wins. See, we love that story, right? The underdog story. And, and even outside of the church, uh, people talk about the David versus Goliath. Sports, business, whatever circumstance, it's always David versus Goliath because we love when the little guy wins. We love an unexpected victory. And Stephen paints this beautiful picture of this, this idea, just conceptualize that idea. 16-year-old boy is the only one that would step out onto the battlefield to face what the trained soldiers were not willing to face. And it leads me to ask this question. It leads me to ask, how is it that David was the only person that was willing to step into that battle? What is it that he had? How did he step into that place when no one else would do it? Because if he had courage and he had faith to do that, see, I think we may want to relate to David and we want to be able to face the challenges that we go up against in our life. But if we're honest about it, we probably relate a little bit more to the other characters in the story, the Israelite army. So if David is led by courage and faith, then the Israelite army is led by fear. And fear is something that we don't like to think about or talk about, but it's something that you and I walk with every single day of our lives. Fear is something that is natural. Fear is something that we deal with. It's something that we may not talk about, but we experience it in our lives constantly. And so I want to walk you through three observations from the Israelite army on what fear looks like in your life and in my life. And we start in 1 Samuel 17:11. It says this, on hearing the Philistines' words, Goliath challenges the Israelite army. Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and they were terrified. And if you want to take notes in your app and follow along, you can do that. But here's the first observation. It's that fear is consuming. So what this reminds me of is, is my two-year-old daughter, okay? She's still in diapers, and, you know, inevitably, somehow, some way, she finds a way to get her diaper off, and what she does is she runs through the house, and when my wife and I see that she doesn't have a diaper on, we are filled with fear, wondering what she left behind. It's like clean up on aisle somewhere, right? You know what she does when uh, she doesn't have a diaper on? She literally runs through the house, and she just starts yelling, naked booty, naked <laughs> and it's like... I'm like, Heather, who taught her that? You know, I was like, we don't go there. But anyways, so it's, it's easy, right, to be filled with fear. It's, it's consuming. You notice in the scripture, they just heard Goliath's words. You see that? It, it's not even that he was already in the battle. It's not even that the, the army was within the battle. Just hearing that you have an opponent causes fear. Just hearing that it's possible that you might be defeated, that you might be discouraged, or you might be disappointed, just, just knowing that that's a possibility in your life, knowing that you could face that, 
consumes us with fear. It becomes incredibly natural, it becomes consuming, and it becomes overwhelming in many instances of our life. So fear is consuming. You go to verse 16, and then it says, For 40 days the Philistine came forward. Goliath, day after day, is challenging the army. And every morning and evening he took his stand, which tells us that fear is consistent. You picture this, 40 days, Goliath steps out onto the battlefield, he challenges the, the men of the army, and nobody's willing to step onto the battlefield. Day after day after day, the opponent comes to face the army. And day after day, they're consumed with their fears, and they hold back, and they're not willing to step onto the battlefield. And you see, you and I are like this, right? We wish what makes us fearful and anxious and concerned and discouraged would just go away, right? We'd rather it just move on from our lives rather than being willing to step up and face it face-to-face in our lives. But do you notice that what causes our fear does not easily go away from our lives? It stays. And Goliath, day after day, faces the army. And day after day, they are riddled with fear, unwilling to go and face this opponent. Then in verse 24, it says, Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all, and that word all stands out to me so much, they all fled from him in great fear, which tells me that fear is, is contagious. It's consuming, it's consistent, but it's also contagious, right? You see, a, a fearful husband impacts their wife. A fearful mother or father impacts their, their children, A fearful boss impacts the employees and the culture of the organization and all of that. Fear is bigger than just what you and I face internally. It spills out over into the rest of our lives. And see, many of us, we've had obstacles and opposition and challenges. Maybe that even happened to you years ago. But it stays in front of you day after day. Some of us wake up every day knowing we have to face something we don't believe we can defeat. And so the Israelite army, for 40 days, is consumed by fear and unwilling to step out and face it. And so then, how do you and I, knowing that fear is just a natural part of this life, how do we not live by fear, but figure out a way to overcome it? See, it's easy to imagine the fear that the Israelites had as they look out and saw this giant warrior in front of them. But what I love to see in this story is David's response. Look at verse 26 with me. It says, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes the disgrace from Israel? And who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I love how David responds to this opposition, this opponent with faith. He says, who does this guy think he is? Does he realize who he's up against? Does he know how powerful our God is? See, David has faith in God and knows that God will take care of him. Even though he's face-to-face with his opponent, he had faith. So this morning, I want to ask you, who's your opponent? Or what's your opposition? Is it at work where you have a boss who seems like he's impossible to work with? Or is it a deadline that you have for a project that you just feel like you don't have enough hours in the day to get it done? Is it at school where you have teachers that you feel like you don't get along with and it just is a dread to go to school every single day? 
and you don't have enough time to finish the homework and you just feel completely overwhelmed? Or is it even at home with your own family where you look and you're like, how can I live with him and how can I live with her after what she's said and what she's done? See, in our life, we face opposition. But my question for you is, do you see your opposition with faith or fear? Do you see that opposition, those obstacles with faith or with fear? See, we can choose fear and say, there's no way I can get this done. I can't accomplish this. I, am just, I might as well just give up and quit. How successful do you think you're going to be if that's the mindset that you have? See, scientifically, they call it the nocebo effect. You know, we've heard of placebo. This is the opposite. It's where if you have a negative mindset and negative emotions, you will wield negative results. And that's not the lifestyle that I think we want. Instead, we want to choose option two, having faith, saying, I know it seems impossible, but I'm not going to give up. I believe that we can do this. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to give it my best. So out of the two of those, which one do you think gives you a better chance for success? Which one motivates you to want to try harder? See, I look at these options and it makes me realize that even though we see opposition, God sees opportunity. We see obstacles and impossible odds, but God sees chances to grow our faith. God sees opportunity for him to be glorified. David chose to have faith over the fear in his life. And that's why we know he was able to go to the king and say, don't worry about this Philistine. I will go fight him. And here is this teenage boy who's face to face with a giant. And he says that he's going to have what every other adult was too afraid to have. Faith. It's so interesting as you read this story. The 16-year-old shepherd boy has more courage than the trained professional soldiers. And so it just leads you to think about what's in David that you and I want to have to face the biggest challenges of your life. Because it's easy to live by fear, right? Fear is essentially being defeated before you even step foot on the battlefield. It keeps you from even stepping into what challenges you. And David is the only one willing to face what no one else would face. And so he, he has this courage and he has this faith to go and face Goliath. And I love what this scripture says. You see the assurance in what he says. Don't even worry about Goliath. Don't even worry about it. Can you just picture your life to not even have to worry about what you battle? He says, I will go and face him. So we have three observations about fear. I want to give you three observations about faith. That you and I can take with us because we can relate to David and whatever opposition you face in your life. And so here's the first one from the scripture. Do not worry about Goliath. I'll go fight him. Faith is courageous. You see, fear will keep you off the battlefield. Faith will lead you onto it to face what you've been fearful of. It it will lead you to, to places in your life that you've been avoiding for years. Things that happened to you in your past, things your parents said to you when you were younger, something that happened with a boss, with all types of things, it'll lead you to to go after what has left you fearful in your life. Because we know that fear carries with us. It breeds anxiety and it makes us unsettled and overwhelmed. And, And God gives us a faith that's willing to just step out onto the battlefield because we have trust that someone is fighting with us. And so he continues, and watch what happens with Saul. So David says, don't worry, I'm going to go fight him. I'll be the one to step up 
And Saul goes full dad mode on him, trying to talk him out of it, right? He says, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. Now, do you see what fear does? It's contagious, right? Fear puts limitations on your life. Fear causes you to believe that you're not capable and you're not good enough. And fear causes you to to limit what you are able to do as if God's not involved in your story. As if there's not a God bigger than your opposition that can overcome the obstacles that you face. Because we may feel limited in our life, but we have a God who is unlimited in his power. And you see, so we face the obstacles, and Saul and all the Israelite army is going into the battle on their own, and they're like, we're not good enough. I mean, how many of us have felt that before? We've stopped dreaming, and we've stopped pursuing things because, well, I don't think I'm capable. I don't want to fail. I don't believe I can be successful. This is what I've been told all my life, and they're more ahead of me, and I can't do this, and we limit ourselves as if we don't have a God that's bigger than all the opposition we face in our life. And you see how Saul projects it onto David. He puts him in this box, and and he even says, you're only a young man. See, you're only capable of this as if their story is going to be your story. And And so many of us, we've had bosses, we've had teachers, we've had Parents, siblings, people in our lives tell us what you're not capable of. And God's going, hold on a second. On your own, maybe. But with me, limitless possibilities. And so the army's just sitting back because they're scared of defeat. And David's like, I've got someone fighting with me that assures me of victory. It's powerful. And so what we learn from this is that faith is contradicting. See, It doesn't make sense that you and I come into this place every single Sunday for an hour and a half and worship a God that we don't see because we know he's real. It doesn't make sense that you give your money to build the kingdom beyond this wall so more and more people will get baptized and give their life to Christ. It doesn't make sense that you give hours out of your week to prepare, to lead a connect group, to impact other people's faith, to build something bigger than yourself. See, fear leads us out of the battles and faith tells us to go right into it. It's contradicting. It doesn't make sense. It's not always measurable. And you can't always assure that you yourself can create the victory, but you know something bigger with you can. It doesn't make sense to the world. It doesn't make sense to run into the battle. So faith is contradicting. And it leads to this point, right? Saul and David are having this back and forth. And it leads to this incredible piece of scripture that describes why David has more faith than anyone else on this battlefield. He reveals it with this story and this testimony. Here's what he says. David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, I struck it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, every man will love this. I seized it by its hair, I struck it, and I killed it, right? And your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. Listen to this. So this uncircumcised Philistine, this opponent, this giant that everyone else is scared of, that everyone else is running from for 40 days. No one's even willing to step onto the battlefield. Because I've seen God at work in my life, he will be like one of them. He has defied the armies of the living God. Now look at this. You see what David says? He's not defying him. He's defying God's army. It's not the army. It's God's army. He's going against God, and so David has this perspective. It's not my battle to fight. It's the Lord's. 
It's so powerful, the mindset. So the Lord rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. He will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. And look at what Saul, he has no argument against this. He says, go, and the Lord will be with you. You see, where does David get the faith to fight the battle no one else will fight? He's already seen God bring him victory in the past. And so because he's seen God overcome his obstacles before, he's willing to step onto the battlefield knowing his God is fighting with him. So how do we overcome fear? We know that God is already fighting for us so that we can have faith. See, fear is easy to understand, and we have our moments where fear can kind of overwhelm us, and our faith can be tested. But we have to remember that faith really is, it's comforting to us. And it's for us to realize that God is there beside us. And we have these stories where we face our lions and our bears, but I think back to my story. And at the time that I faced my own lion and bear was when I was about David's age. See, when I was just going into the 10th grade, it was me and three other friends, and we're just getting ready to try to have a little bit of fun at the end of the summer, try to get one last hurrah. And we find out that one of our friends had a jet ski that was a three-seater jet ski. So what do four teenagers do with a three-seater jet ski? We go on it anyways and find out that, you know, how long we can stay on it. So for hours, we are out in the middle of this lake in the middle of Florida, just having the time of our lives. We're following behind boats, jumping off their wake into the air, and then going back underwater after we land. And we're just having so much fun. But the issue is after a few hours water kept getting into the engine compartment. And while water got into the engine compartment, every time that the four of us would sit onto the jet ski, it would flip over and we'd fall right back off. So we'd climb back on and it'd flip us off again. And we tried and tried and tried with no luck. So the owner of the jet ski, his name was Chris, he decides, hey, why don't two of you go back to shore and take care of, you know, dropping one person off and then come back out and get Stephen and I who will be waiting in the water. Well, Chris grabs his fancy life jacket. He has, like, you know, one of those full-body ones. And I have what I like to call the toilet seat life jacket, you know, those little ugly orange ones that don't help so much. And we jump into the water, and we're like, all right, let's try it. It's our best bet. And we wait. And we watch him start riding away. And this isn't like a little lake. This is, it's Lake Toho in St. Cloud, about five-mile-wide lake. And we watch him go about two miles out. And we're like, okay, he's just going to drop her off, come right back out and get us. No problem. So he starts riding back out to us, and then he passes us. We're like, okay, he's just playing a joke. And then he goes around us and around us, and we're like waving, saying, hey, we're right here. Don't, don't miss us. And then he starts going back to shore. And we're like, what's going on? We find out later he ran out of gas. Problem is, as he took the time to fill up the gas and come back out, now, after the many hours that we were already out there, it was starting to become dark. The sun had set, and it just happened to be the same night as a new moon. So there were no lights up in the sky for us. And we're just waiting in this water. So we tried to swim. And we're like, well, why don't we go back to where we started and we'll swim to shore. It's only a couple miles. It's not too bad. And we're trying for an hour and a half to swim against the current. And we got nowhere. But what we didn't know is that back on that exact dock that we were trying to get to, our parents were waiting, hoping, praying that we would get back safely. And my dad's there at the side of the dock, and he's counting out in the water. And he counts 21 alligators floating in this lake. I've lived by this lake most of my life. I've seen the alligators. I know it's not safe. So I thought that was my destination, but God had something else in mind. He knew that there was somewhere else we were supposed to go, so he kept us from that dock. 
So after a while of trying, we turn around, we try to swim the other direction to see if we can get to the other side of the lake. And we're trying, and it's dark, it's cold, and we're just trying to make it through. And we start to see these lights up in the sky. And apparently the police had been called, and there were three helicopters who were searching for us. Two with a spotlight trying to find us, and one with an infrared camera. But no luck so far. So we're trying whatever we can to get close to where the helicopters are, and we're just swimming towards them. And at one point, it gets to where we're about like from here to Griffin with a spotlight. And we're excited at this point. We're like, dude, we're going to go up in a helicopter. We're going to climb the ladder. Our friends are going to hear about this. This is going to be awesome. Like, we're really excited. And as we're going towards it right here, it suddenly turned and then went completely past us by about five feet. We were devastated. Suddenly, where we thought we had rescue, we thought we were going to be saved, all we had was fear. Because we're in this water, surrounded by things that we don't want to be surrounded with, and we're just trying to make it through. And Chris turns to me and he says, Stephen, what if we don't make it? What if we don't get out of the water today? Stephen, what if we die? And I had at that point a choice to make. Will I choose to have faith or will I choose to have fear? See, I was grateful that growing up, I grew up in the church, and I knew that God was capable of more than we could ever imagine. And at that point, I looked back at those stories and the moments in my life that I'd seen God in the past. I'm like, no, I believe that God is going to save us. And I turned to Chris. I'm like, Chris, we're not giving up. We're not going to stop swimming. We're going to keep going for as long as it takes because I know that God is going to rescue us tonight. And little did we know back on shore, our parents and our friends are having that same prayer. And they had surrounded the lake with people who were praying for us, believing that God would rescue us. And when the police came up to our parents saying that, I'm sorry, I think your children are dead. We found two life jackets that have been completely mauled by alligators. I'm sorry. My parents said, no, we do not believe that. And if God can rescue Daniel from the lion's den, we believe that God is going to keep the alligator's mouth shut. We believe that they're going to be saved. And two of our friends on that dock We're praying, asking God what they can do. How could they help? And they happen to have a pontoon boat. And as they were praying, they're like, well, we don't know what to do. God, please lead us. And suddenly wind just started blowing in one direction, and it didn't stop. Every flag on the gazebo is pointed in that same direction. So they get on their boat, and they knew that the Spirit was telling them that's where they needed to go. So they start driving out into the water. They don't turn left. They don't turn right. They just keep going straight. And Chris and I are just floating in this water. And we just see this light coming towards us. We're like, is this the light at the end of the tunnel? And we hear our names. Chris, Stephen, we're like, God, is that you? And we're like, no. We hear it again. Chris, Stephen, we're like, we're being saved. And we're like, we're right here. You found us. We're being rescued. And we were so happy and so excited. We get onto the boat. They wrap us in warm blankets. And they bring us back to shore. And at this point, we realize that our friends, our family, And even the news were there waiting for us. See, we were rescued that night, and our family showed us love, but we realized something more, that God loved us, and that God took care of us, and he would always be there for us. See, that night, my battle was won, and my faith was set. And I think about David's story, and how he wins this battle, and he goes to approach the king, and the king has one question. It wasn't, where did you get your sling? Or where were those rocks from? No, the question was, whose son are you? Whose son are you? Who is your father? 
And I think that's the question that we need to answer this morning. Who is your father? David knew who was with him out in the battlefield. And as a child, we have faith in our earthly father. We'll jump off the side of the bed knowing he's going to catch us without any doubts at all. But as an adult, do we still have faith in our heavenly father, knowing that he's going to catch us when we're face to face with opposition, knowing that he's going to take care of us when we're at our lowest of lows? Do we believe that God is there with us today? You know, we have our stories of faith, and they help us get through the days that we have today. And, you know, I'm excited because Rachel and I, we actually get to celebrate eight years of us being married this coming week. (laughs) And during those past eight years, we've actually spent the last almost six years praying and asking God to grow our family. And it's not easy because, well, we have two options. We can choose to have faith, or we can choose to have fear. We can say, well, it hasn't happened yet, so what's the point in trying? We might as well just give up. You know, we're just a failure. This is just what God gave us. And it's easy to look around and see opportunities to choose that fear. I mean, I know that my entire life I have longed to be able to become a father, and I've longed for that moment. And I look at my brother who just last week had his fourth child, and Griffin has his three, and we're surrounded with opportunities to choose fear. And it can be sad sometimes, but it's important to understand that sadness does not equal fear. Sadness does not equal worry. Because every day we get to choose faith. Because we know that God took care of us in our past, and if he can take care of our lions, our bears, or our alligators in our past, then we know that God is good enough, loves us enough to take care of our opposition that we face today. That's powerful. See, because Stephen asked, what's your opposition? And I think it's very easy for us. We all know what it is. We all know what causes fear and what's, what's holding you back from stepping into the battle. But the better question is this. Who's your father? Who's your father that is fighting for you and with you? And so today, we want to encourage you that fear is easy. It's natural. It's, it's something we all face. But we have a God who has proven that we can live in faith. And so where do we get that faith? Maybe you ask that question, what's my first step of faith? Or what has God already done for me? I don't have the alligator jet ski story. I don't have those things. How do I know God is fighting for me? Where has he fought for me before? And that always points us back to Jesus. Because when Jesus came from heaven to earth and gave his life on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And three days later, he rose from that grave, defeating the greatest opposition that you and I will ever face, sin and death. He proved to us that we have a God who will fight for us. And so we take that faith into whatever else it is that we face, knowing that if God is for us, who can be against us? And we don't fix our eyes on the opposition. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, knowing I can have the courage to step onto the battlefield because I have a God who's bigger than my opposition, who has already proven he will fight for me. You can have the faith that he will again. So I want to encourage you to stand as we close. Prayer partners can come forward. Tonight, we're so excited. The beach baptisms. The beach baptisms at 6 p.m. tonight. That is the first step of faith for many of us in the room. We have over 50 signed up. There will be more. But maybe for you, today is your day to start the faith journey. 
Say, God, I believe that you fought for me on that cross. You gave up your life. You defeated my sin and death so that I can be adopted as a son or a daughter into God's family, that he wants to be your father. I want to encourage you today to give your life to Christ. Come and be baptized and begin the journey of faith so that you and I can overcome fear together. Would you pray with me? God, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done. The world produces so much fear. We don't even have to be in the midst of a battle. We can just hear something or feel something or see something. And fear is so consuming. It's consistent. It's contagious. But we have a God who is bigger than all of what we face that produces that fear. And so we thank you. You've proven your love for us. You've proven that you fight for us through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we put our faith in him, not ourselves. As we leave this room, our faith fixates on you. And we have the courage and the faith to face our battles, knowing that you are fighting with us. God, thank you for all that you provide. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great day.